This is Josh. How many of you have met Josh? There's a hand. About half of you have met Josh. Josh has been with us for about a year, and uh, Josh is a good friend. He and I got to know each other. Uh, a few years ago, we were called by our district um, to uh, form a team uh, to assess across the district. They were having all sorts of problems and decline in the churches, and things weren't going well. And they, and they asked us to do an assessment, and they asked a few young people to get together and and do some assessment for him. And Josh and I happened to be on the same team and got to be good friends. Josh was over at Coventry Church of the Brethren, you know, down on Kime and Cedarville. Is that right? Kime and Cedarville. And uh, he was the youth pastor there. And he's a licensed minister in the Church of the Brethren. After he stopped, did I say you are a youth pastor or were? He was a youth pastor, yeah. And so uh, he resigned as a youth pastor there when he became a clinician and began to do counseling and stepped into another form of ministry uh, outside the church. But oftentimes when you leave a position in a church, you also kind of make a change at that point. So Josh decided to kind of take his family elsewhere for a little while, and so they've come and joined us here at Parker Ford, which is cool. Uh, Coventry actually planted this church like, it was actually like 200 and some years ago is when the Sunday school started. What do we got, Dave? 220 years ago is when that... Yeah, okay. And and then it well it became and then the church became official like 175 years ago, 100 yeah. And uh so anyway, there it, it that's we have history with Coventry. And uh and so anyway, Josh and Christina ha, and Quinn now have uh been with us and Josh is a licensed minister. Licensing happens prior to ordination. It's a process you go through while you're getting ready to be ordained. And Josh uh, was licensed at Coventry in the fall. His licensing will be transferred here to Parker Ford if, if we allow him. Um, oh, yeah, you better hit it out of the park, dude. No, um, so anyway, Josh has done some speaking there. He's, this is his first time here in the pulpit with us, but we're excited to have him come and speak today. Josh is a good friend. He's going to come up, and I'm going to pray over him now. God, we thank you for Josh, and we ask for your blessing in his life and your blessing in his ministry. I thank you that you're already blessing him in his counseling, blessing blessing him with his family. We thank you for Christina and for Quinn, and ask your blessings over uh, all of them. But we ask especially right now, God, that your spirit would be with him, that Romans 7, not an easy passage, but that Romans 7 would come alive for us through through Josh and the words you spoke to those uh, ancient Romans through Paul, that now you would speak again to us. Through Josh, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, yeah, it's a pleasure to be able to have this opportunity and speak to you guys this morning. Um, on some level, it still feels like it's a little preemptive, you know, because I'm still like getting to know most of you and still building those relationships and stuff. So to be up here and be like presenting to you, it's a little bit, yeah, like okay, so this is new. Um, I was telling the first service earlier, like. All of my preaching pretty much has been done at Coventry, and it kind of is a way. It was kind of cheap because I uh, grew up in that congregation. So, like, I mean, they like to say that they were changing my diapers, but the reality was I was three when I was was there, and I'm pretty sure I was out of that. So, they like to have that claim to fame, but it's, or I don't know if you would say it's famous, but um, yeah. But um, so I've done pretty much all of my preaching there. Um, except for five minutes at Ephrata with this tat team thing. So this is my first sort of like out-of-home church preaching opportunity. So 
um, yeah, looking forward to it and then enjoying, uh, enjoyed it this morning and I'm going to enjoy looking at Romans 7 with you guys um, today. So, um, start, if you want, you can turn there a while in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, what I believe is also going to be up on the screen at some point. So, but to start off, I'm uh, going to quiz you this morning and see how, how, um, how good American citizens you are. So uh, I'm going to read this and I ask you to tell me where it's from. So it says, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. To ordain and establish this, which is what? Yeah. Oh, you guys are good. You guys are good. You officially passed U.S. citizenship. It's good. Yeah, so that's the U.S. Constitution, right? Or it's the preamble to the U.S. Constitution, right? And what is the purpose of the U.S. Constitution? Just fancy writing on paper. Looks good, right? The purpose of the Constitution, right, as Wikipedia... Wikipedia defines it, which is obviously a very sound source, but I liked how they said it. Um, the Constitution is the framework for the organization of the United States government and for the relationship of the federal government to the states, to citizens, and to all people within the United States. Right? So this document really was meant to be like this living, breathing document, right? That even today, <clears throat> the Supreme Court still, like, mulls over and determines, you know, how we interpret this and all this kind of stuff, right? And so this document then dictates how the, the federal government relates to all the entities underneath it, right? And so when we think about the Christian world, right, and the context of our faith, Scripture kind of holds that role in our lives, right? The Bible is what dictates God's relationship with us. It's what dictates God's relationship with the church, it's what dictates God's relationship with believers, with unbelievers, with, with um, and our relationship to sin and, and a whole bunch of other areas, right? So in a sense, the Bible, the scriptures become our constitution. And even better, right, a better way to say it is that the Bible is God's word. And it's God's word to us. And it's what communicates his expectations and desires for us. <coughs> Excuse me. So last week, Josh was talking about Romans 6, right? <clears throat> and I know, like, I inhaled. <laughs> and uh, I'm good. Um, so Romans 6 was what he was talking about. And he was talking about sin, right? And how sin affects our lives. And he was talking about the road of sin and the road towards God. Well, Paul's going to further that discussion today. And that's what we're going to look at, right? So if you would, um, we're going to start with verse 4, all right, in chapter 7. And just, I'm going to read 4 through 6. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the, way, in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So Paul's really, 
Paul points out four entities, right, that we need to keep in mind this morning as we go forward, okay? So there's the law, right? And the law we know is, in what Paul's referring to, is the Pentateuch, right? So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books, they spell it all out. You find the Ten Commandments there, you know, that whole idea, right? So there's the law. And what was the purpose of the law? The law was there to show us how to be righteous. Thanks, man. Good man right over here. Give me water. <laughs> Thanks. So it shows us, right, that we are to be righteous. It gives us the expectation that God has for us in our life. I was going to put it there, but that's, that's going to cost a lot of money if it spills. <laughs> All right. So. Oh, is that, so you want me to <laughs> take care of that for you? So we have the law, right? So then the other thing he's talking about is the sin nature, right? I'm pretty sure that not a single person in here would, well, actually I know because we did this last week, right? Josh asked anybody perfect, right? And I think he asked about himself, did anybody thought he was perfect? And we quickly dispelled any myths about that, right? And so there's a part of us, right, we're not perfect. And that element Paul calls our sin nature, right? When we think about Adam and Eve, and the, the story of them with the serpent, right? It all kind of, that's, that's the beginning of this sin nature, right? And it's a consequence of the fall, right? And it's the sin nature that leads to us actually committing sin, actually following through with disobedience to God. The other factor that Paul is talking about is us, right? He says, so my brothers. So he's talking to us. He wants us to be on board. He wants us to follow him and process this relationship of us to the law, us and our sin nature. And lastly, the fourth character, right, is God. And it's not just God the Father, but it's God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit. All three play a role in what Paul is going to present to us this morning. So he goes on, right, in 7 through 13, and he talks about this relationship between the law and sin. Okay, so if the law, right, the law was given for the reason of basically communicating to us the expectation that God has for us. So some people say, right, we've all heard the term, ignorance is bliss, right? If we just didn't know, then we could kind of get away with whatever we wanted, right? Well, it's that same sense, right? Because God has given us the law, we are now not allowed to claim ignorance. Right? But the reality is that the law then points to sin. If we didn't have the law, we wouldn't have an understanding of sin because you kind of need them to balance out one another. So we have the law. However, right, that was the old way of thinking. The new way of thinking is Christ. And because of Christ's death on the cross, because of his resurrection, we can now live in light of what he has done and not necessarily measure ourselves according to the law. Now, it doesn't mean that the law is out, right? The law still applies. It still gives, it communicates a godly way of living. But we're covered in grace, right? We're covered in the blood of Christ so that we can live with this sin nature and still stand before God in the end, right? Okay. So, when we think about sin and the law, right, I like to think of sin as a parasite. 
know, because sin is like, it's not good. We don't like it. Parasites, not good. Don't like them. If you ever had a parasite, you definitely don't like them because they make you really sick. Um, if, has anybody ever been to Camp Sotara? Yeah. Note to self and to everybody else, just for your well-being, don't ever swim in that pot, okay? Just don't, all right? For some reason, a friend of ours thought, I, it might have been a bet or something like that, um, about sw- he couldn't swim across the pond. And so he was like, whatever, I'll take that bet, whatever. So he swam across the pond, and he felt pretty good about himself because he did it. He, he won the challenge. However, a couple days later, when the parasite set in, not too fond of the whole, uh, you know, it didn't really feel so good of an accomplishment. And he was pretty sick. So, um, yeah, so don't ever do that. Um, but so we can understand, right? A parasite is not a good thing. It's not something we like. And sin is that way with the law, right? It attaches itself to the law. And it clouds our view of the law. And it deceives us into thinking that our relationship with the law is different than God intended. So the law was meant to be righteous, right? The law is holy. The law is the word of God. And it was meant to bring about righteousness in our lives. But because sin attached itself to the law, it now brings about death in our life. Because we're never going to be able to measure up. We were never meant to be able to accomplish this law. And so it, it wasn't ever going to work. But what it did do was it pointed us towards a savior, right? It pointed us towards needing somebody who could measure up. And so sin then, right, is a part of our life and creates these excuses when it comes to the law, right? So that's why you have how many different denominations? That's why you have how many different faiths, right, that all claim that God is their God, that all claim that scripture is read this way, right? Because sin gets in our lives and it makes us read the Bible and interpret it differently. It makes us read the Bible and it makes us say, well, I can listen to this part, but I don't have to listen to this part. Because really, that was meant for that time period, not this time period. You know? And all of a sudden, we begin to pick and choose and we think it's okay. Because sin gets in and deceives us and makes us think that we're still living godly lives. So Paul understands, right? Paul presents this issue between the law and sin. And the whole time it's under this umbrella of knowing that we are saved by God, right? But he gets to this point where he just comes to realize that he isn't adequate. He doesn't quite make the cut. I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, right? The law is good. It comes from God. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, 
but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find, my, I, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I'm sure we can all identify with that piece, right? There are times that we do what we do not want to do, but we fail to do what we want to do. And this is, this is throughout all of life, right? I mean, I think we're more aware of it as we get older. But the reality is, when we're young, it's still the same thing, right? Raising up a child in the, in the way that he should go is a command that's given to parents, right? Because we have to teach them how to follow the rules, follow the laws, follow God. This week's remember a story when I was two and an instance where my parents helped me, uh, gently persuaded me, shall we say, to follow their rules. We were, um, it was when I was two, like I said, and my sister, she, older sister, she would probably have been around four, and um, it was just the two of us at that point. I don't think my um, other sister was born yet. If she was, she was a baby, so it didn't matter anyway. Um, and it was us and my parents just sitting around, we we're talking, hanging out, and my sister was asking my mom about her jewelry and her rings, and in particular, her engagement ring. And so they were talking about that, and then my sister, you know, asked if she could hold it, if she could see it, and, and do all that thing. And so my mom was, you know, showing her the ring and letting her see it and hold it. And of course, you know, being the young, rambunctious two-year-old that I was, I was like, now it's my turn. I want to see your engagement ring. And um, so... I guess my parents thinking that, you know, I'm only two, how far can I run, you know, or how fast could I really be, um, said, okay, you can see it, but, you know, with the instruction, you've got to hold it carefully, you know, this is fragile, be gentle, you know, all that. So um, I take the ring, and like every two-year-old, I'm probably pretty fascinated with what I'm holding, you know, and it's like, ooh, this is so cool. But, you know, our attention spans, they're really short. We get distracted, we get careless, we move on. So I started, you know, getting a little distracted and not really focused on taking care of my mom's engagement ring. So, you know, it's time. My mom's like, okay, Josh, time to give the ring back. And I didn't think it was time. So I was like, no, no, I'm going to keep the ring. And she's like, no, Josh, it's, it's time to give the ring back. And I thought I was still right. And so I said, no, I'm not going to give the ring back. You know, so then obviously we up the ante, dad steps in, Josh, you need to give the ring back to your mom right now, right? No, no, I don't think I, no, I'm not done, right? Still not listening, don't want to give it back. So we up the ante one more time, right? 
Josh, if you don't give the ring back, I'm going to spank you. And you, know, you would think by two, you would have learned what a spanking was and that you know, this isn't a fun thing and that I should have been able to at least realize that, okay, it's like spanking or give the ring back, you know. But apparently we don't think that way at two years old, which, you know, leads to the point of me getting spanked at the end of this story, but that's okay. So, of course, then again, I say no, right? Like, no, I think for some reason this ring is more important than getting spanked. And so I held on to it, right? Then obviously sheer power takes over. My dad takes the ring from my hand and I get spanked. And so, you know, I'd like to say that I learned my lesson, but I'm pretty sure it took a couple more of those instances for that to set in. But it's the same way, right? God gives us his laws. God communicates with us his desire for us to follow him. And so many times we think that we know what's better for ourselves in a given moment. And we say, no, that's okay. Thanks, God, but I'm going to go do this. You know? And so many times God just desires for us to follow him, to connect with him, to walk with him down this journey. And so many times, right, we think we know better. Or we think we got this thing figured out. Or maybe we're like, you know what, God? I know that this is where you want me to go, and that's cool. But really, like, I can get this one. You don't have to worry about me on this one because, because I can do this myself. Like, I love you, God, and it's cool, but I, I got this, you know? Like, go help this person over here. They need you a lot more, you know? And we, like, we create this world where we're, like, always trying to do it ourselves. And we forget that God needs to be the one who does it in me. And Paul realizes this, right? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. He knows that he can't do it, and yet he tries so many times, right? How often do we try to live and walk the Christian walk and forget to bring God with us? And so there we are, thinking that we're like doing this great Christian walk and we're missing the relationship with God. And so Paul, he does this really great thing. He differentiates it, right? Because there's a difference. I can say that I did something bad, and I can say that I'm a bad person. And Paul doesn't say necessarily that he is a bad person as much as he says, that he is a slave to this bad thing called sin nature. And it's something that we have within ourselves. And it's something that we're unable to get rid of. But he names it and he recognizes it. And he says that this is what needs to go. I need to get rid of this in my life so that I can be with God. And so these things, right, we know that sin is deceptive. And when we listen to sin, we're engaging our sin nature and we're allowing it to have reign in our hearts and in our lives. 
And what we need to do, right, is we need to access God's Spirit. So Josh said, right, last week, that we come into this with, a, with the understanding that we have accepted Christ and we understand the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And so that this is about walking forward, this is about living out our faith. And so when we accept Christ, right, the Holy Spirit comes and it abides in our hearts. And when we invite that in, that's the first step, right? The, the, uh, the title for today, right, is admitting it is the first step. When we accept him, it's saying that, you know what, I'm a sinful person. Right now what's in me is my sin nature, and I need to eradicate that from my life. And the only way I can do that is if I allow the Spirit to come in to my heart. And once that Spirit comes in, war breaks out, right? Because they are totally against one another. We are totally redesigning our core, who we are, and we're allowing God to do it. And so when we allow this war to happen, right, the reality is that we have to face the fact that we are sinners. I work with drug and alcohol addicts. And they will do anything and everything they can to not face their addiction. And the reality is, when we look at our sin nature, we have to understand that we are addicts to sin. Like, we like it. And it feels good sometimes. And it allows us to get rid of a whole bunch of junk that we don't want to deal with. But only for a moment. And the reality is, if we want long-term health, if we want long-term healing, then we need to be engaged with God. Josh and Tim put together this booklet, right? The uh, Personal Practices, Pursuit of God. This is where it's at, right? Like, you want to walk this road, and you want to start getting rid of the sin nature in our lives? Then we've got to put these things into practice, because that's how we grow the Spirit in our lives. That's how we get to keep walking forward and keep walking and slowly get rid of the sin nature in our lives. Some of us, though, think still that we can do it ourselves, right? Richard Foster says, Our ordinary method of dealing with ingrained sin is to launch a frontal attack. We rely on our willpower and determination. We determine never to do it again. We pray against it. We fight against it. Set our will against it. But the struggle is all in vain. And we find ourselves once again morally bankrupt or worse yet so proud of our external righteousness that whitens, this word gets me every time, sepulchers is a mild description of our condition. We try and do it ourselves, right? That's what he's saying. Like we try and get rid of the sin nature. We try to be really good Christians. You know, we walk the Christian walk and we make ourselves look really good like we're, we're solid with God. But the reality is, if God isn't a part of that walk, it's all for show. And it's scary, right? The hardest thing for a drug addict to do is admit that they're an addict 
the second hardest thing for them to do is to walk into that addiction and understand why they're an addict. All of us, right, have parts of who we are that we don't really enjoy. Maybe we like, maybe we don't like, we shouldn't like. Maybe parts of us that we even loathe, right? And the reality is that God wants to shine his light there. God wants to come and meet you there. God wants to be welcomed into those areas so that he can heal from the inside out. But it means we have to have courage. We have to be willing to go there with God. And if God truly is the God he says he is, then we're going to be okay. And the reality is, we're going to come out on the end of this thing a better person and in a deeper relationship with God than we were when we started. But we can't let fear get in the way. We can't be afraid of who God wants us to become. Because, see, that's sin deceiving us into thinking that it's going to be too painful, that it's going to be too hard. C.S. Lewis says, the Christian way is different, harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. God wants to win the war in our hearts. He wants to be there. And the reality is, and we have the hope that he already has, right? Christ already died on the cross, so we have that hope, so we know. But we have to have the courage to go that walk. When Christ walked from the Roman jail to Mount Golgotha, where he died, right? We need to walk that walk with him. We need to go that road with him. And we're going to fall along the way, but just like Christ had Simon of Cyrene help him pick up the cross, we have brothers and sisters who understand what it means to live with a sin nature. And we have a Christ who knows what it's like to be on that road. Would you pray with me? Heavenly God, we just thank you so much for the grace and the mercy, Lord. Even though there's a part of us that just loves sin and there's a part of us that has this, this corrupted nature in us. Lord, you don't care. You still love us and all you want from us is to surrender to your will. All you want is for us to just surrender to the calling you have upon our life and that we would be a slave of your word and not a slave to sin. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you would find us worthy of sacrificing your son. In your name, amen.